Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So we are going to start a new series this week. Um, this conversation has come up amongst us because last time we were recording, one among us, not going to necessarily name names here, started a fantastic story with such a great opening line that it made the other two of us go, what? And I think that we all have stories like that. So we're going to share a couple of these experiences from our lives which just sound absolutely bonkers. So, Erica, would you mind starting? <laughs> so the line that kind of got this thing rolling was, the time I was almost a roller derby chaplain. <laughs> Tell us about the time you were almost a roller derby champion. Yeah, not a champion by any means. I don't skate, which makes this even better, uh, because the last time I skated in ninth grade, I sprained my ankle, so I haven't gotten on a pair of skates since. But in my first parish, um, I had a parishioner who was a part of a roller derby team and another parishioner who was uh, co-workers with the captain of that team. And I'd gone to a couple bouts just because I had a friend in seminary that did roller derby, and I went to a bout, and they're fun. They're, you know, they're exciting. They're um, very eventful and all kinds of just, you know, craziness that goes on at the roller derby bout. And so um, the, my parishioner, who was friends with the captain of the team, um, I guess they got talking one day and thought about me as possibly being a chaplain for the team. It was just somebody that to hang out with the girls, to be there if they wanted to talk about anything, you know, obviously to be praying for them as they're doing, you know, um, racing in the bout to make sure that nobody gets injured or anything. Um, it never really came to fruition, uh, but it was always a, a very interesting conversation, just the idea of possibly being a chaplain for a roller derby team. And of course, I had the perfect roller derby name. Uh, when I was in seminary, I got the nickname Holy Reverend Mother. And so we, we said, you know, if I, if I ended up doing this, the back of my jersey would just be HRM. And we would let people kind of figure out what that stood for. Um, but I was really excited. I w really wanted to do it, but I guess the team um, didn't want to. But uh, still friends uh, with Goblin, who's the captain of the team, and then Susie Bonebreaker, who is my parishioner. That's not their real names. Uh, <laughs> just their roller derby names. It's good to know. <laughs> Um, and I wish that there was a team down this direction because I miss going to roller derby bouts and watching them. They're a lot of fun. So that's my kind of crazy story of how I almost became the roller derby <laughs> chaplain. I, I find that so fascinating, mostly because that is a type of chaplaincy work that I've never heard of. <laughs> I don't know that it necessarily exists in other you, roller derby teams. You picture teams. hospital, you picture police chaplain, maybe army chaplain, armed uh -huh. forces, that sort of thing, fire department. I had not thought about... Uh, not roller derby? Violent wheeled sports. <laughs> right off the bat, I am just thankful to know that the proper term for it... An individual competition in roller derby is a bout, as yes. opposed to certainly not game. That sounds too lowly and no, 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 and not a joust. No, a bout, a roller derby bout. It's yes, a fight. <laughs> yes, it is very it's, violent. It's the Ellen Page movie Whip It has 
stop the anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's that it's a fight. Well, and this was on a flat rink, and um, there were sections like around the rink where there was seating, obviously, but there was definitely sections called suicide sections. Of course. Uh, <laughs> that if you sit there, like you, and they were on the curves, you knowingly, um, you knew that there was a possibility of a, of a roller derby gal landing in your lap at some point. Uh, so. Do they forbid people from having nachos and cheese in those seats? Um, I can't remember, honestly. Okay. <laughs> Probably would be a bad idea to try to eat in one of those seats. Smart. Good to know. So. Good to know proper roller derby <laughs> etiquette. So, like, as you... As you I've been sharing this instance, and even from the the moment the phrase roller derby team chaplain escaped <laughs> your lips, um, I was thinking about the the ways, in some ways, like, that's not all that different from in pastoral ministry that we are called to show up with whatever the needs or the, yeah. the context of the, the people that we are serving is. So while, in a sense, it seems a little bit unusual to say, sure, yeah, roller derby <laughs> chaplain, like, there's a piece that, that like, okay, that is so, uh, I, I'm looking for a different word, but maybe incarnational is like, it's mm-hmm. just meeting people exactly where they're at. And I think that might have been why, um, because it's so unusual to think of, you know, a chaplain in that, especially in that type of sporting mm-hmm. event. Um, I don't know a lot of the the girls on the team outside of, of Goblin and, and Susie who, you know, were friends or parishioners. Um, but I think it was just like that, the idea of this religious figure, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the girls on the team, I don't think were very religious, weren't mm-hmm. churchgoers. And I think that's kind of why it eventually fell through. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that was going to be my role. Like, you know, I wasn't there to necessarily preach at them. Um, you know, I'd be happy to answer questions, you know, if they had any or, you know, talk to them about concerns that they had, spiritual or otherwise. Um, you know, but that's, you know, a lot of what I try to make my ministry about anyways is, you know, I, I preach on Sunday mornings. That's my time to definitely preach at and you know, towards people, but not necessarily like in the day-to-day mm-hmm. things. If you want to talk about your dog, I'm happy to talk about your dog. If you want to talk about your family, I'm happy to talk about that. It doesn't necessarily mean that God has to come into every conversation. I mean, he, he's hopefully there because I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that we have to address God and, and spirituality and everything. So, um, That idea of your sense of ministry as just accompanying people with whatever, wherever mm-hmm. they're at. I mean, like that, that's, that's cool to me. Um, and... It seems like it's the kind of thing that just it it that's the same in in ministry regardless of tradition or denomination uh, or location. It's the particulars that might be mm-hmm. different. Like when I first came to this area, um, I got invited to cheer for kids who were showing pigs at the fair. And yep, I did I, that too. <laughs> I grew up as a kid in suburbia where we did not have any wildlife left but the plastic flamingos in our yards, um, and we would go to the county fair once a year and it was like it like it animals were there but it was more like this is an excuse to go on free cheap rides you know mm-hmm. uh and now to be in a role of i'm here to cheer on this person and it's not because i get anything out of if they win it's like you're there to just cheer someone because that's what what they mm-hmm. do and so it, it for me i had this experience of learning accompanying people and cheering them on at horse races and at 
sheep and pig shows in a way that feels very much like of, mm-hmm. of, of, of woven out of the same cloth. Like it's just about here's where people are at, here's what they've invited you to get to be a part of it. And mm-hmm. there's a sense of privilege of thank you for inviting me into this. I wouldn't have had that experience other than you invited me to get to be there and to, to cheer along with you. And being my first appointment was in Warren, Pennsylvania, and that's where the Warren County Fair is held. And I, I, I did the same thing. I had um, youth that showed um, pigs, mm-hmm. and so I learned a lot about pigs. Mm-hmm. Those couple summers I lived up there, and now that I'm down in Indiana County, I've got youth that show pigs, goats, sheep, and cattle. Mm-hmm. And so I'm learning things about them, and that's, you know, um, because of my stage in life and not having a family of my own, I have a little bit more freedom uh, to go to not only to the fair, which I basically live at for Indiana, because my kids are showing yeah. almost every day um, something in the mornings, and uh, I go to football games, you know, all kinds of sporting events, and my kids are involved in something. I try as much as I can to be there, and I'm blessed because of, you know the way my life is right now, being single, um, you know, I have the time to do that. Mm-hmm. I think a really cool thing about ministry, and something that you're both describing so well, is that. When we accept church positions, uh, you know, we're called to those churches. Mm -hmm. But in so many ways, we're also being called to those communities. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that looks slightly different in each community that we serve. Um, Like, for example, the community you serve now, Erica, does not have a roller derby. (laughs) But it does have sport events. It does Mm -hmm. have the fairs. Um, my previous call was at a church, a single point congregation, and right next door to them was the only nursing home in town. Mm. And, but it was like, it was the church, the parsonage that I lived in, the nursing home. Mm. Like, that's how it was situated. And so without even meaning to, I kind of became the unofficial chaplain of this Mm -hmm. nursing home because I was there once a week at least. Because 10 of their residents was my parishioners. So I was always there visiting them. And then Mm -hmm. over time, while I was there, the other residents got to know me. And I Mm -hmm. had a Bible study there. And the local ministerial took turns leading their Sunday afternoon worship. So I Mm -hmm. did those. And anytime anybody couldn't do it for whatever reason, I was the one that the nursing home called. Because I lived right next Mm -hmm. door. Yeah, And so... At that call in that community, that was just the role mm-hmm. I filled, was kind of this nursing home chaplain. Mm-hmm. But that's just part of what it means to being called not just by a church, but by a community. Yeah. My previous bishop used to always say, um, when he would read the, read the appointments at annual conference for us, he would say, remember, you're not just called to the church, but to the community. Mm-hmm. And I took that very seriously to heart. And so anywhere I've been, I've, I've tried to do that. Um, the fire hall for Marion Center is just down the road from my place. And while they have an official chaplain now, when I first got there, my church has a good relationship with that department because 30-plus years ago there was a fire that destroyed the church. And so we've had this relationship with them for a while. Um, but I was kind of their unofficial chaplain. And I still, you know, I hang out with the guys. I try to support them as much as I can by... You know, buying hoagies and, and barbecue chicken dinners off them. And, and they know, like, if something ever happens and their official chaplain couldn't be there, like, they could give me a call and I would be happy to show up and, and talk with them. Um, there seems to be a couple of ways this is a really, really um, powerful image of um, people in ministry just accompanying the communities that they're in. On the one hand, it says to me, like, that's a really effective model for... Uh, 
for for church outreach, and that mm-hmm. it, it's not it, it's it's something that's genuine that doesn't come off as a sales pitch. You know, there's lots of opportunities for churches to do their their full on sales pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, here's our postcard, here's our mailer, or here's our you know door hanger that's got our worship mm-hmm. time. And there's lots mm-hmm. of ways we do that. And there's there's moments where that's appropriate, and there's other ways that we do explicit faith sharing and moments where you're just showing up in the community are like there's not a this there's no sales pitch there's no fine print mm-hmm. there's no at the end of this now you have to listen to my lecture about a timeshare you know like no yeah. there's no hitch it's just i i'm here to be with you all and that seems to me like one of the ways that you earn the right to get to speak mm-hmm. to people uh, is when you're willing to listen to people, and especially as a representative of organized religion. Yeah. Where we're so often, for a lot of history, we have not listened, and we've just like, we're in town, you must listen to us, and look mm-hmm. at our billboard. And instead, like, if first we're the ones who show up and earn the right to listen, and then when people are willing to uh, talk and we've listened, then, then you earn the right to speak. That's something that's pretty powerful, and it, it starts by just showing up and playing the, that long, I want to get to know you, instead of so often in conversations when other people are talking, we're just thinking in our head of, what am I going to say when it's my turn to talk? And yeah. Just, How can I listen? And showing up at a baseball game or a swim meet or a roller derby game, <laughs> like, yeah, it's just that's, that's what listening with your whole self looks like. And people from the community have, you know, they'll come up to me like, I've seen you at mm-hmm. these games or, you know, how do I know you? I know you from somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I don't always show up in a collar. In mm-hmm. fact, most of the time I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not my typical wardrobe um, unless I've been somewhere before the game and I just haven't gotten a chance to go home and change. But I'm finding that I'm getting some in ways with the community by just kind of showing up to these things because Again, I'm seeing these aren't my kids, yeah. especially the sporting events I go to now. These aren't my biological adopted, you know, this is not my family. Mm-hmm. They're my kids in the fact that, you know, they're my parishioners, and yeah. so I consider them my kids. But, um, you know, I'm not there as a parent. Yeah. yeah, You know, I'm not there as a school board member. I have a board member, part, a couple board members as part of my church, and they go to a lot of sporting events because, for that reason. And sometimes they have kids and grandkids mm-hmm. involved in mm-hmm. them too, but... You know, I'm not going there as a school official. I'm just going as a community member and because I love the sports and I love my kids and I want to support them. That's one of the things I think is really cool, too, about that you've... uh, You've you've used well in the calling and the place that you have that... Uh, at least I'll own it, is a challenge for me serving multiple congregations mm-hmm. where it's not a single school district. Yeah. There's like, and even even in both in, in mm-hmm. each individual congregation, there's multiple school districts mm-hmm. represented. Where man, that's hard to show up at every time everybody would have something. And uh, I'm grateful knowing that uh, in your ministry, you've got this ability of like, mm-hmm. yeah, I can show up at this end so that people know there's someone who represents. And again, it's not like you're like you're there quoting the psalms or, you know, doing scripture readings mm-hmm. while you're there. Cheer, like, you're, just your presence. That's yeah. all that's required. No sermons are necessary, um, but just just your presence means something. Though I will say, I'm a very passionate sports fan, especially when it comes to football, and even more so when it was roller derby. Um, and so sometimes I have to watch myself because I am representing <laughs> my fellow clergy and my church and, and God and Jesus. Uh, I have to watch myself to make sure that I, I don't get too excited and upset at <laughs> certain yeah, sporting events. It would probably be shocking if, say, for example, you were to cuss out the ref. <laughs> that yeah. Well, and I even think, too, like, it is, as funny as it, you said it sounded at first, that a roller derby team as violent a sport as that is mm-hmm. would have a chaplain. Like, there is a role, I think, for, for uh, someone to have that voice, uh, especially for the sports that tend to be more... Uh, 
high energy and and uh, angry or violent because like it's a reminder of like we're here to to, to play our best and to do mm-hmm. well and to you know uh, mm-hmm. strive as well as we can but like this isn't uh dear god bless our team and not theirs or dear god let them all yeah. fall or tra- like like so we don't slide into that mark twain war prayer kind of you know mm-hmm. like bless us and may they all be destroyed no it's let, please keep everybody safe help us mm-hmm. to be smart and wise and good in our sportsmanship like it's this reminder of like Help us to do what we're doing well, and also to remember, we're playing roller derby, we are not doing brain surgery, you know, like, to keep things in that kind of perspective, too. Yeah, we had um, the high school, and again, this is all because of where I'm ministering at, because like you said, Steve, you've got two congregations with multiple school districts with each one, and um, where I have one congregation, (laughs) and everybody belongs to the same school district, but we've had... um, Our girls cross country made state championships this year, and our girls softball made... um, district championships just recently um but i always tell my folks you know as much you know our our girls um at least the time this recording are are playing at the state level right now and um as much as we want them to bring home a win it's all about like you said that sportsmanship and that that everybody's safe that everybody has a good game puts forth their best effort if they're if they're christians you know and i have a um member of my church that plays on that softball team, you know, that she plays, you know, and gives everything that she has for God's glory and, you know, for his honor and, and plays to the best of her ability. And that's what, you know, I'm there to remind my congregation when we're praying for these kids that are in sports and everything, it's exciting as it is to bring home a championship. At the end of the day, we want our kids to play well yeah. and, and play safe. And that's, I think, an important reminder that that collectively our communities need in the at, at least when we're at that intersection of uh, people who are uh, practitioners of faith, people who are, who are believers and part of, of the church's life and also on a sports team, that like to be a witness for Jesus on the sports team is not to hit a home run and be a jerk, but it's better, it's a more faithful witness to be somebody who strikes out and is a decent human being to other people yes. on the team. Mm-hmm. And that, that like when the scriptures talk about do all that you do for the glory of God, that doesn't mean like... Um, step on as many people as you need to get to so you can be on the top and then at the end stick a little cross on your win or something like mm-hmm. that, but be a, a, a person who reflects the character of Jesus in what you do so that winning or losing, you can be an effective reflection of Christ, mm-hmm. not Jesus only shows up with the winner so, or that yeah. God only cares about the winner, so make sure you're... It, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it, that's a helpful transformation of what it means to do what you do to the glory of God. The other thing that is sticking in my head is... Um, it's it's a turn of phrase from um, a book of Robert Farrar Capons. He, he, there's a book of his called An Offering of Uncles. And I think the, the central image is that human beings um, in that role that uh, we're given in the Genesis creation story as the ones who are both caretakers and like the celebrators of all that God has mm-hmm. made is to be able to lift up to God almost like uh, a priest does in the ancient imagery of like the beauty of every part of creation. And so to be able to lift up and go, this is a beautiful thing you made, God. Thank you for this. Look, at this is a beautiful mm-hmm. thing you made, God. And in, in Capon's language, he talks about it. All we're ever doing is offering up our uncles uh, to, to God. <laughs> um, but uh, that idea that like everything in God's universe, there's something beautiful and blessed. And part of our calling is maybe to be the ones who stop and lift up even the things that don't look like they have mm-hmm. anything of the sacred in them. Because our, our culture is really good at separating things into there's sacred and secular, there's religious and there's mm-hmm. personal, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And to be the person who in the midst of the things that look 
completely uh, profane or secular or ordinary and go, there's something beautiful and blessed and, and good in here. And maybe part of the challenge is finding those things that look at first laughably absurd, like, how would there be anything of God in roller derby? And that part of the, that's part of the challenge. How do you mm-hmm. find, how do you lift up something that's, uh, but that that's part of what our calling is, not just as religious professionals, but that's what it is to be human, is to be able to find what's blessed in everything. I am wondering, too, as you're talking about this experience of showing up because member of the congregations in World Derby, so that's what I'm going to do. It mm-hmm. reminds me of lots of the stories in the book of Acts, especially when uh, Paul on the missionary journeys would go to a new mm-hmm. town and just, like, get to know what's the, what's going on in this town. Okay, let me get immersed in that scene. So, like, you know, they go to Philippi and they think, I bet there might be some people who are going to pray there and down by the water. Let's go check that out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that instead of him barging in with, like, here's my pamphlets, come to my new church, like, we're just going to go meet people, and they strike up a conversation, they meet a woman named Lydia, and they get to know her story. Mm-hmm. Um, or I think about, there's this cool scene in, um, earlier in Acts, when Peter goes to a, a town, I think he might be around Joppa, and um, there's a woman named Tabitha who dies, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they summon Peter to see if he can help her, and there's this beautiful, strange detail in the story that now reminds me of roller derby, because, uh, it, it, it peers up in there in the room with this dead body there, and there's people who are weeping. And Luke, the narrator, gives this little aside and says, "And they were showing Peter all the clothes that she had made and given to people in the community. Like mm-hmm. this was her job, and this is what she did. She made decent clothes. And like it's weird picturing like she's just died. Why are you? Sh-? And but it's like we're celebrating. This is who she is. This mm-hmm. is this is why she mattered. This is like this was her gift. This is what she was good at. There's something owning about like this is her life. She's not just a name. She's not just a placeholder. She's not just the empty vessel for you to do your miraculous work on so that you get the credit, Peter. It's, this was a life that mattered in all of her particularity. And um, then he raises her to life again. Um, but there's something beautiful about like the particularity of Tabitha that's worth holding on to, that's gotten held on to now for 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. It's not just, we don't know anything about Tabitha. No, this is what we know about her. This is what mattered. And that, in a sense, like to be the roller derby chaplain, or almost <laughs> roller derby chaplain, is to be like, this is the particularity of these people's lives. Mm-hmm. So this is what I'm here to honor, at least to find out about and, and to, to walk with people with. And I try to tell my folks all the time, when we talk about evangelism, Evangelism is not standing on a street corner on a soapbox, you know, pounding people over the head with the Bible. Evangelism is not going up to a stranger and saying, do you know Jesus? Evangelism is getting to know a person, having a conversation with them. And as you get to know them and and befriend them, then naturally those kind of conversations will come about. And that's really what I was hoping for with with this chaplaincy thing. And, you know, it didn't happen, and, and, mm-hmm. and that's fine. It's whatever. You know, if anybody wants to start an Indiana County roller derby team, uh, <laughs> I know somebody who's willing to be their chaplain. And maybe that's what was holding them up, that they couldn't find a chaplain. So good, good to know. Uh, so. Um, I think that's another thing that I really appreciate about your willingness to share this story, is that uh, even though we've been laughing at it about being almost the chaplain, <laughs> like there are a lot of times in our ministry life where you might put the energy and the time into something and it fizzles or it crumbles or mm-hmm. it doesn't it isn't yep. it doesn't take off the way you wish it to be and a lot of the way our wider culture views that as well that's a failure and therefore isn't important mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and that I, I i'm much more convinced that in our kind of work 
um, sometimes the things that get labeled as failures are the most beautiful places for genuine connection mm-hmm. with people. And also, like, it's important that we show up. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's that old line, that 85% of life is just showing up. And knowing where to show up is an important thing. Mm-hmm. And, and if, it, if something takes off, great, that's so much the better. But we keep throwing spaghetti against the wall eventually, knowing that at some point it'll stick. Um, and that that is a pretty important picture of what it is to be the people of God. Not just to be mm-hmm. pastors, although certainly as pastors, but for all of us, like we just keep showing up in the lives of other people uh, where, where we're called upon and whether it looks like success or a success or not to the mm-hmm. rest of the world is, is sort of uh, second fiddle, less, much less important than like, did we show up? Yeah. In that church, I was um, in the process of being ordained. We had an ordination project that we had to do. And as I re- reflecting after the project was done, I thought it was a failure. But as I started reflecting on it, I realized, you know, we had shown up, we tried something yeah, it didn't in in the secular sense succeed, mm-hmm. um, but we learned things from it, mm-hmm. and and that was the important part. And I think mm-hmm. with every encounter that we have, whether it be pastors or laity or you know whatever, you know you you learn from what you've done in the past, and you hope to you know just improve and make it better each time. And I think too, it's a reminder that. So often uh, the the wider culture around us tends to define success in quantifiable terms, like mm-hmm. did your ministry effort yield more people or more money for your church, or mm-hmm. you know, is, is there an increase in something? Certainly, there should be something quantifiable. Yeah. And if instead, if we can say that we were able to honestly and faithfully reflect the character of Christ mm-hmm. in some way to somebody else, like, yeah, that's what we were called to. That's what this is all about. Whether it shows up in numbers or not is not really the the issue. Um, and I think, like, again, when I think about stories in Acts, there are stories where Peter preaches a sermon and 3,000 people came to the Lord in one day. Good for him, Peter. But there's other stories where Paul spends an awful lot of time in a place getting to know people and spending lots of time with them and getting to know in Athens, here's what you're interested in, so I'm going to tell you about the, I saw your your, um, your shrine to an unknown god, so I've come to talk about, the, and like nobody wants to listen to him. Yeah. Um, and that Luke doesn't blush when he tells that story. It's like, okay. yeah, this is not about what the world is going to label mm-hmm. success or not, but sometimes it is exactly in the things that look like weakness. And I think that becomes an important part of certainly Paul's sense of ministry too mm-hmm. when he's able to talk about like it's it's in our weakness that God's strength is seen most clearly it's it's in those places where uh, like he says in, in Corinthians you know we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be clear this power doesn't come mm-hmm. from us but comes from God um, and there's there's a huge temptation in ministry life when you do something that does look like a smashing success to instantly like pat ourselves on the back and be like yeah it wasn't God it was me baby I did it I had the smart words and we came up with this and no, at every turn, our most faithful moments are maybe the moments that look like the almost, or that it didn't work out, or uh, it could have gotten labeled a failure, but it was it was genuine because it reflected Jesus. I know, anytime I read that about Peter's sermon and the 3,000 coming right. to faith, because I'm like, why? Come on, Luke, why didn't you tell us what he preached on? <laughs> and, that, and that's... That's not the important thing. It wasn't Peter's words. Yeah. It was a movement of God and the Holy Spirit and the people being open to that movement that right. is why 3,000 came. And so even if I had Peter's words and I preached it with all my might and memorized it, and <laughs> it doesn't mean people are going to come to faith. And, and that's a really good point because like, I think sometimes we get in that, man, in that mentality and treat it like this is something that's a skill to be mastered instead mm-hmm. of God is always going to be more elusive. And the Spirit, part of the ways you know it's the Spirit and not... Our invention is that God always has to remain beyond yep. our grasp and control. So if it's a matter of learning technique, nope, that's very clearly, this, this ain't what God's up to, because <laughs> God can't be mastered. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's a, that's a really important point. You could have Peter's word, word for, Peter's sermon word for word and, and not have it work because it, it's about God who's up to something behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, I appreciate your willingness to share the story of the time you were almost a roller derby chaplain. <laughs> And this just makes me want to go watch Whip It and then, <laughs> and then sign up to not be the chaplain, but just be on the team. Okay, you start the team, I'll be your chaplain. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to wait until after I've had the baby. Yes. <laughs> I don't think that's allowed. Yeah, seriously had to do that too at one point. She had to take a break from therapy until she had her baby. Well when it happens, we'll be sure to let you know that the next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. Thank you for listening, everybody. Say again. Bye.